0: Formula Access. Welcome. Today, we bring you a very, very special guest. Uh, We have had the pleasure of working with Ferrari and Shell, and they have been just absolutely supportive of everything. And they're bringing us some incredible guests from this particular partnership, which has a long history, many, many wins, many, many big names, many, many great stories. Today we bring you Mark Janae. Mark Janae, welcome and thank you for coming on the show.
1: You're welcome, Ryan.
0: I was a little floored when they mentioned your name. I look, I've been a fan for 20 some odd years. I I, I know your name. <laughs> I don't know you personally, but when when um our contact had mentioned your name and was like, you know, would 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 you be interested in him coming on the show? I was kind of like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Please, please make this happen. And he's like, Oh, I, I got it. We're good friends. And so. Um, so just just to let the audience know, um you're you're one of those guests that have a plethora of stories. And frankly, it's one of my favorite types of guests because I like stories of adversity, I like stories of time, I like actual stories. Um younger guests don't generally have all of that life experience to talk about. And I think as a fan, just getting to hear that, you know, Mark Genet is, is a human just like us and just a different type of world. Uh, it really allows everyone to connect with you. So I'm really, really excited to have you on the show and I'm really, really grateful for that. So just to kind of let the audience know, like, who are you and what, what are you doing today?
1: Okay, so um, today I'm, my official role is the Square ambassador which which covers different um different jobs I do at Ferrari because Ferrari at the end of the day is 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 the, the one company that was that was born as a racing team before even they created the racing car company which means there's a lot of activities with the racing DNA for example I I take care of uh, first of all I travel with the Formula One team so helping the uh, the drivers, you know Leclerc and signs in, in any way it can go from media activities, which I may do so that they can focus more on their on their racing activities. It may mean that I sometimes I also look at the videos and if I can somehow help them in any way, you know, regarding performance, I will do that because of my past uh, Formula One experience as a driver. Uh, then I do also TV commentary for the Italian TV. And then at Ferrari, I do uh, other jobs, one in particular very interesting, which is taking care of the all the F- Formula 1s that have been sold through the years to the most um, important clients we have in the world. You know, there's around 60 clients in the world that own the Formula 1 cars that raced up to three years ago. So I, I coach these clients, I drive those cars, those Formula 1 cars, and then sometimes I'm also involved in the um, GT activities, road car activities. Whether it's, uh, the latest car I was involved with was the Ferrari Daytona. And I may be, and also the 296, I was involved in the launch and sometimes a bit in the development of the car.
0: Okay. I had a quite, I, sorry, my mind went somewhere while you were talking that is not on my, my list here. When, when, when you're advising a young driver, you, you were arguably driving in an era of Formula One to me, which was the greatest generation of Formula One cars. You know, you had the big engines, you had the big noise. They're smaller cars, you know, more kind of action. How how does that translate into like the newer, bigger, heavier, you know, smaller engine car? Like, is it easy for you to translate your 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 wisdom and your experience of that to signs or Leclerc?
1: Yeah, because I've driven I've driven also the hybrid modern cars. I haven't driven the the wing cars, so I haven't driven the latest latest ones. Yeah. But um the telemetry, which you at the end of the day to to coach, I mean it's very difficult to coach drivers like Leclerc or Sainz because they are the best in the world, you know, but um the way you drive a Formula One car and the way you perfection your driving is the same. Basically, you look at telemetry, same channels. You know, you always look at the speed channel. Uh, brake, steering, uh, there's, there's like six or seven channels that we, they look now, and we used to look in my era, and then video analysis, now they do a lot more video analysis than they used to do in my time, but this is something, you know, you get used to, and and the newer generation, they do a lot of video analysis, you can really see that they were born into that, into that time, and, um, and then the driving, the driving technique is the same, so the way you trail brake into a corner, the way you, you apply throttle, you use the curves, some of the circuits are the same, so some of them i I really know them very well from when I used to race some some are new and i have I had to learn them. so the basic concepts they really haven't changed that much. The cars are a bit heavier now, two hundred kilos heavier. The lap time at the end of the day is very similar to my era mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's it's quite similar. I don't have to basically i'm probably that's why I, a guy like Alonso, so you know still doing very well because you know he used to be good 20 years ago and he's still good now because sure. cars you drive them in a similar way a little bit different but really not much you don't have to it just comes very natural
0: well you guys are the best in the world so it uh <laughs> you're not like me where you would struggle to understand what's happening um so that's so you also do media support with with them as well. I mean, do you, do you oftentimes find that a like a young 20-something needs more help? I know at, at 20, 22, 24, 25, I don't think I could have handled the amount of media attention and pressure that you get with that particular role. And even, I mean, even in your role too, but I think as I've gotten older, I've been in more of those situations. It's easier for me to just kind of, think and talk at the same time and understand like what my words mean a lot of intentionality in my words do you you support them quite a bit with that as well
1: yeah it's media and sponsor they have also a lot of sponsor activities I remember when I used to racing Formula One that this type of work I thought it was distracting me from the what was important so I can really empathize with them And that's why whenever I do activities with them, I try to make sure they spend the least time. They have to spend time because at the end of the day, Formula One is financed by the sponsors, financed by the media. Because the media comes to the fans and the fans, that's what the sponsors are there, you know. So first of all, I understand that we need them. I know that sometimes the drivers say, oh my God, you know, I would rather be spending time with the engineer. And, and I, t- I, t- I try to balance, to, to, to help them in any way I can. It hasn't changed that much. Maybe the only change now that with social media, all the fans have a phone and um, everything is more immediate. But um, I was very busy at the time and, they are, and I can see they are very busy now. You know, it, hasn't really, yeah, it hasn't really changed that much. Maybe the, the average audience now is a bit younger, which is great. You know, that's where Formula One is doing very well now. And uh, and these young fans are more enthusiastic maybe than they used to be. In my time, they were more core fans. And now there's a lot of young fans. And and that is great.
0: Yeah, I I personally really like the Drive to Survive fan. Again, I've been a fan for a very long time. Uh before Drive to Survive was a thing. And I I like the the excitement that they have. And they they're very curious and they ask a lot of questions. And it just it's kind of fun to be around that. It's like, it's like a little kid, you know, they get so excited about certain things that you're kind of like, uh, maybe callous to, and it's just exciting to be around that kind of uh, excitement. So how, how do you measure success in the role of an ambassador? I think, you know, you hear a lot of ambassador stories of drivers as they kind of come off of their, you know, their driving career, they become ambassadors. We've seen it with Rossberg. We've heard about it with, you know, Hamilton and, and whatnot. How do you measure success in your role?
1: Yeah, for me maybe it's a bit different because I'm so involved with it, with Ferrari as a in the racing team that for me when they when we do well on the race team, you know, I really feel great. So that's the best. That's that that really applies to success. You know, mm-hmm. when you have a podium finish or like the one in Singapore, that was probably the highlight of the year. You know. Having said that, at the same time, I know when I've done a good job, but my job is, when I do, is not so dependent on the performance of the car, so I just enjoy the success of the team and um, maybe only when I drive the Formula One cars, because I have a lot of responsibility then, you know, when I I drive uh, any car of a client, first of all, I have to make sure I do a good job because... It's not my car. I only have a few laps because I know every lap is very expensive for those clients, even though they may be very wealthy, but I also take care of them in a way. So when I have finished, when I finish an event, then I feel proud because everything went smooth, everything went well, I did my job, I didn't do any mistake, you know, I did good coaching with these clients. That's probably where I feel more rewarded on my driving ability. On the racing weekend, it the success. I know when I do a good job, but it's not such a difficult job. It, it's more linked to the result of the team at the end of the day. I, I feel the team was successful, basically, and I'm part of the team.
0: I think that it's amazing that you get hired to go drive fast cars. I, I just, I think that that's one of the coolest career paths to have where somebody is, you know, reaching out to you, hiring you to go drive their car, the team's car, you know, and whatever that event is, I just, I can't, I honestly can't personally fathom, you know, what that would be like personally to have, you know, people or agents or managers calling you or team, team owners calling you to come, you know, drive their really fast car. I'm a, I'm a car guy. I love cars. I love fast cars. I love the power. I love driving a car that just wants to go. And, you know, and and I think that um what I have access to is probably not even in the same ballpark of what you have access to. That just sounds like a really
1: really fulfilling career. <laughs> no, it is. And my age, I like I know last time I drove the Formula One cars was two weeks ago. I was in Fiorano and I drove different Formula One cars because we're doing some shakedowns prior to the Ferrari finale in Mugello, which is is the biggest event we do at the end of the year. We do a big, big event. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of, most of the clients turn up for this event. So I was shaking down the Formula One cars, just making sure they they were all well set up and everything was fine. And that day, and especially when I come to Fiorano, I really feel... I'm so lucky to do the job. At the end of the day, I'm doing my... It's, it's my dream job yet. As soon as you say, I don't even pay you to do that, you know? And But but that's one part. Another thing is that at my age, I'm going to be 50 soon. And at my age, to still drive the Formula One cars, I know that's very, very uncommon. There's very few people in the world that at the age of 50, they still constantly drive Formula One cars. So, yeah, I, I, it's a big privilege that for I still... Uh, Trust me on that. Of course, I have more experience, so in a way, I do my job better. But uh, but yeah, it's I've been with Fry now 20 years, almost, and Formula One 24, 20, and, and and to still be doing that job now, yeah, I, I, it's, it's great, yes.
0: So you, and, and I want to link this question to that specifically, you're also a commentator for Sky Sports, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That to me is one of the greatest elements of live racing that I've experienced in 20 years of watching the sport is having a driver involved in the commentary because it's not, it's not just so much like a, an awareness of like, you, you watch the race and you can immediately tell what happened, like a, a rear suspension failure or a suspension fail. Before I can even comprehend what's happened, you can hear it and understand. But also the strategy, like it's really interesting to be watching a race and have the driver commentator, you know, talk about a strategy that should be taking place. And then like three or four seconds later, you know, the team's calling the car in or they're doing something to, to do that. And I think as a fan, like it just, it opens up a whole new can of worms that, you know, we, we have access to it's not really the, like uh, you know, here, here in the States, we call it like the, um, the couch quarterback or the Monday morning quarterback where we just go and we tear everybody's decisions apart it's really cool because you've been in that seat you've been on the pit wall like you've been in with the engineers and so you you almost see the future in a race do you i mean it is, is not, that-
1: it is like as you say it's not it's not a di- very difficult job because you're so knowledgeable you know you and i also I was attend the briefings before the race so i really know everything that's going to happen actually the only difficult part which now i'm very used to is because I work with a Formula One team, I have to be careful with what I disclose. You know, so sometimes I feel I'm not giving interesting comments, and then people tell me, "Yeah, of course you give a lot of interesting comments." You know, because I know I'm not giving, I'm not saying everything I know, and sometimes I have to be very diplomatic because I'm, I'm linked to Ferrari. So I know that if I wouldn't be working for a Formula One team, Ferrari in that case, my TV commentary would be a little bit more. Uh, Open. Uh, I wouldn't say the word relaxed, you know, but I would have. I, I would have to be less careful that I am now. Uh, but I've done so many years now that I know what I can I cannot say, and, I, and I've learned how to. Because probably at the beginning they were a little bit. Uh, they they were not sure if I was right that someone from the team was going to be doing TV commentary, so I think they observed me for the le- first year. And then they saw I was doing okay, and they let me, they let me free, you know, free kind of. But, um, but yeah, that's the only thing, that I cannot say everything, and I cannot always give exact exactly what I would think because I, I'm representing Ferrari.
0: It's a respect thing, too. I, I, I think you probably respect the brand and the team and kind of the honor of Ferrari. I mean, it does have a pretty substantial heritage and legacy in the sport, And, you know, and I think that you respect that. You said that earlier, you know, you're, you're a pretty lucky guy to be there, you know, for 20 years. And I think that, you know, it's probably pretty easy for them to, to trust you. And it's probably pretty easy for you not to just get out there and just tear them apart on the track for an impossible decision that they have to make in three seconds. And yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: It How? No, it works well, it works well. and Anyway, it's, it's an asset eh? for the Italian public, which is the ones that they listen to me, of course, to have someone that talks within Ferrari, that goes to the briefings, that talks to the drivers, even if I may not disclose everything I know, is someone from within Ferrari. So the, the, it works great, you know, the TV company are very happy, the fans are happy, Ferrari are happy. It works well, and I mean, if Ferrari make a mistake, I will not defend them. To death, you know, I may not be involved so much, then it's more my colleague that goes into it saying what he so that's how it works, you know, when something happens, I, I'm a bit softer, you know, but, uh, but uh, anyway, if there's a mistake, there's a mistake. Uh, it's not much you can say.
0: Yeah, look, it's it's obvious in that particular situation, and, um, and I, I imagine you respect them quite a bit. How, how did you get into motorsports? I mean, were you were you a car guy as a kid? You know, did you come about this just watching races with family? Did you want to do this from day one or did it happen later in life? Like how, how did this all start?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for anyone, it it's very strange that someone gets into motorsport if there's no if there's no one from from his surrounding that's one day Shows him introduces him to that world, in my case, it was my father he liked cars he he never did any racing, but he he had he had yeah, he liked cars, so we would clean it together when we were, and we could see that he was taking care of the tires and you know and so I think we started to appreciate his love he had for cars and we liked it as well now, the first time I remember naturally, there was something in me that it's um because I think, as I say, someone from outside has to make it easy, but there must be some fire within. It was um, when we were playing with um, we we got it scalextric. It's like some little cars that they go in rails, you know, and you have like a remote control, but the car is is in, on a fixed uh, fixed layout. Mm-hmm. And I would really spend a lot of time, uh, not only driving with the cars but changing the tires. So I, I did go. I really went into it a lot. And then the next, next step was with the remote control cars. Mm -hmm. I would also spend so many hours and try to make them slide. Um, and then when my father would take us wherever holiday, wherever, you know, we wanted him to like, you know, go fast, go fast. So there, I could feel there was a very natural love with speed. So there was a love with cars, not with speed. Then I was a good student at school. And we are three brothers in my family. And one day my father said, look, if any of you three get very good grades, I may buy you a go-kart. Not to go racing, you know, just for fun on the weekends. So I was in Sweden. I got the good grades. He bought us the go-kart. We would go just practice for fun, the three three of us, three brothers sharing the go-kart. And one day a guy spotted my older brother. Because my older brother is very talented, you know, very, very talented guy. And he told my father, hey, you know, your kid is great. You know, why don't you put him into racing? So my father, he didn't know that world. So my brother started racing. And then I wanted to follow his steps. So basically, if my, without my father, would been very strange. I would have liked that world. Without my good grades, probably he wouldn't have bought us a good go-kart. And then my brother was also very important because someone spotted the talent he has.
0: So did... Did you start competitively go-karting with him or what like whatever
1: happened between the two of you? Uh, he's a bit older so for for a few years we were just enjoying uh weekends for fun, no racing. We didn't know there was a world of racing behind go-karts. Then when my brother started racing, I did as well, but I was always 2 years behind. So uh he would be racing in I don't know the senior category and I would be in the junior category, so just late late later on we've sometimes done karting together for fun but we've never competed one against the other where
0: where did where was the moment where he was just kind of like this is fun and you said this is what I want to do for the rest of
1: my life when i went into racing straight away i i got so it was so in, i was so intense and I I was so focused I remember I would be so nervous before so on my first year already the night before was hard for me to sleep because that night the day after I had the race so there I saw I wanted it so badly now on my second year I was Spanish champion so I could see straight away I, I did very well and um and I wanted it really to my dream was to be in formula 1 basically very early on so so it went from just fun to being serious just when I went into racing. Straight away I understood that you you needed to have it was a very important thing in my life uh, racing world.
0: So what what was the journey like then for you going from you know Spanish Spanish karting champion to Formula 1 is it was it harder back then because you didn't have as much media exposure, or global exposure, or did that make it easier than
1: today? Hmm. I was, I was very lucky. I think to to reach Formula One, all oh, you are a mega, mega, mega talent guy like you know Leclerc or Hamilton, alone. So you know that because although I was second in the European Championships, I did also well internationally. But um, I was very good, but. There were some guys who were really exceptional. When I say some guys, it's like four or five, okay, that you have them now in Formula One. So, so I was very good, but, and I've won Le all. And I, on my ba- best year in Formula One, I finished, my best result was fifth in 2003 in, in one of the Grand Prix. But I, I've compared myself to Schumacher, to, because I've been teammates with a lot of world champions. I've been teammates with Schumacher, Villeneuve, uh, Alonso, Fettel, Raikkonen. So I know they have something that I don't have. Maybe it's one tenth, two tenths of a second, you know, but they have that. So I was, I think, if you are a very, very, very talented guy like those five guys I just commented, you know, um, probably they'll make it eventually. You know, someone will see they are very, very, very good. If you are just very good, like me, you know, then you have to be a little bit lucky to really make it to Formula One. And so I was. Probably there's, you know, the more you work, the luckier you get. I was, I was telling you, I was, I'm a very hard worker, So, but I got my chance. My chance was that um, I won a championship called World Series. It's like a Formula 2. Okay, now, now it doesn't exist anymore, but at the time it did exist. And the price of winning that championship was a Formula 1 test. And I prepared that test so much. So so much way before I even knew I was gonna win that championship, and that day I did a very good test, and I was given, I was offered the drive with Minardi at the time, which is now Alfa Tauri, but at the same time, so I was lucky for winning a championship that you had a test, but then Minardi is a team that needs needs finance, so they said, look, we want you very much, but we need we need a sponsor because we cannot, we don't have the full budget. And then I was also lucky enough that at that time, Spain had some international companies that they wanted to go into different markets. In that case, was Telefonica, which is the, the telephone company in Spain, and they were willing to go into Formula One. So it, all the stars were aligned. You know? I went in Formula One when Telefonica wanted to expand, and, and it all worked very well. So I think you need a bit of luck, but uh, you, you can make your own luck in a way.
0: Okay, so so good good point. And I I want to talk about this. You get the opportunity to go test a Minardi For your general common fan, you jump out there like today, you jump out there in FP1, you run some laps and then and then the other drivers hop in the car and and the weekend moves on. What What is it about that test for you or like what in that test got you a seat in formula one? Was it lap times comparative to the drivers that were in the car? Did you do, did you actually have the opportunity to go to, you know, another track and spend a day testing versus an hour? What, what do you, what are you hoping to accomplish as a driver back then?
1: yeah we we have because I, I it was like a shootout it was the me against the formula 3 german champion against the formula 3 italian champion there were like four guys and the reference guy was the formula one driver from the previous year so the the actual race driver no sorry the test driver was the reference for us so we all had 20 laps um and i ex i exceeded expectations of the team i did so well that they. They told me, look, stay, and we want to give you another test the, the day after. Because we've been very impressed and we want to see if we, what we you just did was just like a one-off or you can repeat it the day after, you know? And they didn't give the chance to the other guy. So basically I was already... After day one, I could see I did something outstanding for, for Minardi. Uh, and they were they were referenced because I, I did it also very well compared to the test drive at Minardi. Although the test drive at Minardi didn't drive that much anyway, but he was a a much more experienced guy than me. I stayed the second day. I also did very well on the second day. And that's when they said, look, we were not expecting, we were not supposed to propose you that, but we want to propose your race team. So that's why I think in life, sometimes you get given like a chance and you just have to make the most of it. And I really made the most of it because without having done great in those 20 laps, which was basically fast, I was fast, my feedback, was very good, you know, what I was telling them about what the car was doing. And then making no mistakes. So I think the first time you drive a Formula One car, you need to do, be good in these three things. If you on the first time you drive an one car you have an accident, which can happen, you know, hmm. very unlikely they're gonna give you a second chance. If you're not fast, very unlikely. If you don't if you're not professional in, in your approach, hmm. they may not like that because it's very competitive. There's a lot of good guys there. And I and I really think that Three boxes you know, and that's when they said okay let's let's move on to racing next year if you can find uh, the sponsor then I had the sponsor for two years, then I did also very well with Minardi. and then William signed me without a sponsor you know so that's probably when I really was just signed fully for my the it didn't matter if I had a backing or not from my country I didn't have any backing then and Frank Williams signed me with Williams as a test driver, I did some races. So um, yeah, I say I was lucky because without Telefonica, probably would very unlikely Minardi would have signed me. How
0: when when you're when you're racing for for Minardi, you have the support. This is the necessary thing in in all motorsports. And then Williams comes calling, and they want you, not your money. What like how do how is that process? I mean, it is it you and a bunch of other people that they're talking to and wherever they feel the most synergy, or is it like, we want Mark, we want him in this seat, and what's it gonna take to make it happen? Like, how does this all start?
1: Yeah, no, they, they pick, in that case, when it's a top team like Williams, at that time, Williams was fighting for championships. Um, I remember Frank uh, Frank Williams and Patrick had both, they just said, um, we know you are available because they heard that I was available they did a lot of research already. So when I went to the first meeting with them, they already had made up their mind. They they wanted me, they just wanted to meet me and just make sure we agreed, you know, but, and it was a very similar thing with Ferrari. When when then I went to Ferrari, uh, I proposed to them because I could see the Williams journey just had finished. So I was available and I, at that time, you know, there were even faxes, you know, you, would, you wouldn't send emails. So I, I sent the fax to Jan Todd. He was the team principal at the time, uh, or my manager did. I, I, I really haven't had managers, but the, for a couple of years I had, and he did that. And the same thing. I went to the meeting, but they already said, look, we want you. And I think they were used to Williams or Ferrari. When they picked someone, for sure that guy was going to go to them, you know? So, um, yeah, it was very straightforward. I mean, in fact, even with Ferrari, for example, I drove the car before I signed the contract.
0: So they said, "Okay, we
1: want you. you we, we need you to test the car," which was great because I tested the two thousand four, which is probably one of the best ones ever built in the history. And and it was in such short notice that I had to put the overall of Schumacher. They changed. They just tap like his name um, or taped the name, and and I drove the car without a contract. So that that day, that's when I re- when I went to the track and I could see they were waiting for me to test the car in Barcelona. I was one hundred percent sure that the contract was signed because at that time I didn't I didn't have time to sign the contract. If you drive the car, of course, then it means you know for them it's, it's, a, it's a done deal. What was it like going
0: from a Williams to the F two thousand four? I mean, I love the story of that car, but what what was what was the drivability of that car like relative to the Williams?
1: Yeah, I mean we. we... Because at that t- that year Williams finished second, Ferrari finished first. Okay, the 2004 is one of the most dominant ones ever. Um, now the engine of the BMW engine from Williams was very powerful, so the Ferrari was not any more powerful. They were very similar on power. The the grip, the downforce, you know. Also Williams was in a very good level. Where Ferrari exceeded, and I told them uh, Ferrari, you know, and I think that's why they won the championship that year. They had two things. First was Efficiency, the car had very low drag, and and that's very important even nowadays. You know, it's basically top speed and or, or 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 high speed in in high speed tracks. And then Ferrari was also very good in the electronics, very refined electronics. When I talk about electronics, I mean traction control, electronic diff, Um this part, because at the, nowadays you can do less because you have a, a, an official supplier and then you can adapt to it. But at that time, you, you did all your own software. We had Magnetic Marelli as our partner. And, and Ferrari had a different level of electronic sophistication compared to Williams. And I think those two elements, that's what made Ferrari win the championship.
0: Do you feel that difference in the car as a driver? I mean, do you get in it, take it out on the track, and you're like, wow, I can feel I, this is a different car?
1: Yeah, you, you feel the, the smoothness of the traction control. You, when they do the briefing to you and they tell you about the steering wheel, the functions you can do, I could see that you could do many more functions than with yeah. Williams. And that's something where Schumacher, I think, he was a big part of it. You know, He really was very good at telling the engineer what he wanted from the car. So you could perfection the car more. You know? And if you had someone like Schumacher, which he would spend so many hours with the engineers, you know, working with them. He really made the most of all these functions. So yeah, the, the first time I drove the car and the way the traction control and the way the differential would help the the balance of the car, I could see it was, I mean, we're talking probably about like a tenth of a second or two tenths of a second, but that's a different probably from winning or not winning. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes, it is. So you, you were, you were a test driver in an era where that was a critical, critical role that has been heavily restricted today. How do you feel like that's affected the sport in general? Like, is it does it make it more competitive or does it provide a better platform for driver development or?
1: Yeah, okay, at that time, Testing wasn't limited, so you could test as much as you wanted. There were test teams. We, we had even two test teams at Ferrari. I was more in charge of the tire development testing, and and at Ferrari we had a big we have a big we had a big advantage. with, with even up now because we own two tr- racetracks. We are the only team that owns racetracks. We mm-hmm. are the owners of Mugello and the owners of Fiorano. So we had a lot of flexibility, which we agreed for the good of the sport. To reduce testing up to three days now, which is, is incredible that you only have three days of testing. And now we do all the development with the simulator, which I was involved heavily at the beginning because we, we had no simulator, we had something at Williams. So for four years, I spent a lot of time at Ferrari developing the simulator from zero. Um, but um, so for sure, it's, be- it's, a, it's a, it, I think it would be better if we could test, but I understand that the cost. Comparing to the return, it doesn't really make much sense. You go testing, no one watches you, there's no TV, it's just a big cost. And nowadays, with the budget cap, it makes, it makes sense to reduce testing so much. Um, the new drivers, however, they are used to, they, they have been born with simulators. So mm-hmm. for them, they don't miss it as much. And at the same time, in my era, there were 16 Grand Prix, now there's 24. So obviously, if you increase the amount of Grand Prix, you have to reduce the amount of testing. So I think, it's the way the world has been going. You have a budget cut, you have to reduce something. Testing is probably the first thing you want to reduce. More Grand Prix, you have to reduce testing because otherwise drivers cannot cope with everything. And um, and then the world of simulation is very efficient. You can, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's 90% the same thing. So, and the new drivers, as I say, they. Probably they don't even know that in my area you would do like 100 days of testing a day, a year, you know. Now they do one and a half, that's how much testing they do, one and a half days, and they go into racing. And they are used to it, so they don't miss it.
0: So, okay, so you, you've you been a, a driver with 100 days of testing and then simulation. Do you Do you feel like you can keep up with the development program throughout the season? in a simulator as well as you can by getting in the car and driving it around the track all day?
1: Um, no, you cannot do it. And that's why sometimes this year, for example, a few teams, they brought developments, but they didn't work mm-hmm. and they had to, to then get back and use pre-practice one to test things that even to, to extend this year that they've been doing testing in racing. If you would be allowed to test, those issues would not happen. Mm-hmm. You would both uh, raise 100% sure that the parts you are bringing, they are going to be working. So, yeah, it's not the same. Sometimes you have to be brave nowadays. Say, okay, do we bring it, do we don't bring it, do we bring it, we don't bring it to a screen weekend because if you, don't, if you get it wrong, one session only, then you go going to qualify. So, um, yeah, it's more difficult nowadays. To develop cars nowadays is a, a lot more difficult
0: that's that is so interesting to me i I you know I have a lot of engineers, and we talk about the process of you know getting from a CAD design to the wind tunnel you know, and then getting it overnight into the track and and whatnot and i i me in my world, it would make more sense to throw it on a car, take it around Fiorona a couple of times, make sure you that the efficiencies exist and then send it to the track. I can't imagine having to theorize it on a computer and a wind tunnel and then send it to the Grand Prix with 20 million people watching and hopefully it works. That's
1: that is yeah. it's not it, that it doesn't seem right, but the engineers and the simulation models are so advanced. Yeah, in my era, there were 20 cars as well, like now, sometimes 22, and I finished many times with the Minardi finished eighth, I have had have a lot of eight finishes, but why? Because 12 cars came the race, because eight broke down. Now at the most, two cars break down, you know? So the the reliability of the cars nowadays is much higher, although there's a lot less testing. And that's just because the simulation models are just so advanced, and the four rig posts, and this, and, and the whole technology has, has advanced a lot. Having said that, it's a bit, it's sounds wrong that teams bring updates, that they don't work on the race weekend, they have to get back, try it on a race, it's just not quite right, you know? And I think we've gone to another extreme. Three days of testing for the whole season is, is kind of ridiculous, you know? Maybe 100 days was too much, but three days is probably also too little. But uh, but there's so many racing nowadays, so many races, that there's just no time, you know? So I, I understand that they, they... And it works fine, you know, the fans are happy. And just that the engineers sometimes they have to think twice whether to bring an update or not.
0: I've on 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 like a total pivot of conversation. So we we've always had a lot of guests from IndyCar on the show. And you know, we kind of one of our guests was really close to Delara and Delara came on the show and we got really close and you know gotten to spend a lot of time with them and and you know, and and then several guests, Stefan Johansson, that I've had on the show, have this huge emphasis in LMP1, MSO, endurance racing, and you know, I've always been interested in it, but not like open wheel single seaters. And the more and more and more I talk to these guests, and then watch how drivers pivot from you know, open wheel or car to endurance racing. I'm just, I'm getting this fascination so much so that I'm going to go to the 24 hours of Daytona this year to check it out because I keep hearing so many great things about this type of racing. I know nothing about it except what the car looks like and a couple of people that have raced in it or that are around the sport. Is it a natural gravitation for drivers to go to that? Like what is it about that type of racing that that I guess gets your attention?
1: First, the car. Um, when I race in LMP1, which is in now like now the hypercar. I also I also driven the Ferrari hypercar uh, a few weeks ago, and you drive it the same way as the Formula One car. So for Formula One drivers to go to hypercar or LMP1 or LMDH, you know, now, there's the two classes, it 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 comes very natural. You drive, you don't have to adapt your driving style. However, if you go to GT, that becomes a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. You, don't, you, don't, you do not enjoy it as much. I've done both, I and mean, in the GT I didn't enjoy it because the car rolls, the car the car is very heavy, it doesn't have downforce. And this, to me, I didn't really enjoy it. So I've always liked to go into the LMP1 class because I just... Drove the car, enjoyed it, and I was competitive straight away. Now to get to get into the more endurance uh, mentality, which means uh, sharing the car with other drivers, that this is something that it takes a bit of time to not to know how it works, because of course we all know how it works. Because but Formula One drivers are very selfish. You know, your teammate is your first competitor, and the more you have to change that, because the car wins. And, and for the car to win, the three drivers have to do the best job possible. So if you can share something with them, do it. You know, because more chance of the car winning. And then you have to take care of the car. Maybe you're better off losing one tenth per lap, but not abusing the curbs because the car has to make it to the end, you know? So this mentality, not all drivers have it. Uh, normally the younger drivers have it less, normally. But it, it's a bit more down to personality. But I did fell in love with this type of endurance racing. It was great, the cars look great. I think they 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 are so attractive on how they look. They are just so much fun to drive. And and then I really got into this teamwork effort of uh, Le Mans. And, and I was very lucky that Ferrari at that, at that time allowed me to race with other manufacturers because I raced with Audi, I raced with Peugeot, I raced with Nissan whilst I was at Ferrari, you know, and I, and I had a great, great time.
0: I'm still trying to figure out how I experienced that as a fan. You know, you go to an IndyCar race, you got two and a half hours, go to a Formula One, two and a half hours. Going to a 24-hour race, I'm trying to figure out, do I leave? Do I sleep at the track? Do I get a tent? What do I do? How do I experience this this event? And look, I, luckily, I think Delar will help me with with some of that. But um, I'm I'm re- actually really excited to go, and my my 14 year old daughter is going to come with me because she has really become fascinated with racing and wants to work in Formula One as a hospitality or a performance coach or something. And she just loves being around fast cars, so I've got that going for me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, probably I, I would say you get out, get disconnect, go back in, you know, you don't have to be 24 hours. Even when I was racing, I would try to go to sleep. And yeah. for a couple of hours, I would never felt deep sleep because I've almost always been fighting for wins. And there's the big speaker and I had the radio of the team and... But it's nice even to disconnect for an hour, go back and see what what has changed, you know? But of course, that's something that makes it less attractive on TV because as you say, it's so long, it's impossible, no one's gonna be there 24 hours watching in front of the TV. But it's nice, you know, you go out, you go to the hotel, you keep checking how the race is going, Uh, you go to sleep even for a few hours, then you wake up and see what's changed. That that you're gonna get into in that's nice as well. It's it's completely different to Formula One.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 really excited about that. So we'll check it out. And then a, a couple of guests I've had on from Formula One tell me the twenty four hour Le Mans is a must go. So that is on the bucket list now too. <laughs> it just just keeps getting bigger and bigger and uh I have more and more places to go and things to watch and spend my money on. Great. What in in your career, what What's been your pinch me moment? I mean, you've you've got a a lot in your in your experience. Like, what do you consider a pinch me moment? In all of that time.
1: So the most emotional, to the point that even I even cried from joy, I was winning Le Mans because I was lucky also enough that I, I did the last tint, which that's very exciting, you know. Because uh, and I won with a French manufacturer. It's a French race. To Jody and win that race for many, many, many years. We were coming from a dominant era of Audi wins, so we managed to break that, Uh, and it was a very intense race. You know, we were fighting with the other with our sister car, so it was very intense. So that was my the highlight from yeah from joy basically, from proud the first time I joined Ferrari the day I put the Ferrari overall and I look into the mirror into the motorhome. And i walked into the garage and i could see all the ferrari mechanics and i had the 2004 car that day i realized i reached something that i never even dreamt of one day reaching you know and then the other moment that was very important to me was the first time i i got into the point and at that time the points in formula one were only top six now there's 10 cars was so it was very difficult and i finished in the top six with minardi which was something that happened every once every 30 years and and yeah that 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 I really enjoyed because I was fighting with Hakkinen with Irvine because it was a it was like a crazy race and um those so those three moments are from the racing then I kind of admit you'll never forget the first time you drive an F1 car because okay. it's the fastest car you're going to ever drive you know so the first laps I did with a Formula One car I still really have them um uh, I remember very very well Okay,
0: when you do that, when you get in a Formula One car for the first time, take it out on track, you hit your hot lap, I mean, are you like, are you screaming inside of your helmet? Are you calm? Or are you just so focused that you don't even remember that moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had only 20 laps, so I I had to do very well straight away, which is not bad because that way you're more focused. But I remember... I got out of the pits. I accelerated for the first time, and my feeling like was, God, this is, fast. you know, the acceleration. You know, this is the first thing that you really feel on your body. It's like I had that feeling like you go into the, into the, time, tunnel. You know that 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 you start to accelerate, and and everything happens just so so fast. You know that like you're into a movie kind of that you a movie that you 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 increase the speed of the movie, um, and then. The first laps are the ones that it, they are most shocking. You know, the braking is just so, so, so um, heavy. There's nothing in in the world, I think, that breaks so with so much uh, g-force like a Formula One car, and then the cornering as well. So it's something you feel on your body, and then also visually, you can see something. Then you you get used to it, but the first time is like, wow, you know, that 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 would be the it's, it's, It's the done with the words you would be saying, you know, more than smiling during the lap. I think it's just, wow, this is just so fast and so much that I'm feeling on my body, you know, it's cool. It's like I've been working on on for it for 20 years, and it's even beyond what I was imagining that it was going to be.
0: I I always find that fascinating to hear that part of it, because I remember George Russell saying the first time that he got in a Formula One car for a test, that he had like blown capillaries and his eyes or something and his neck and his head hurt so bad that he just, he couldn't even do anything at the end of the day because there was so much just G force on him that he wasn't even expecting. And his, you know, body hadn't adapted to, I think that's just, that's an incredible experience. I've been in very, very fast road cars and I've not had that experience getting out of it. So I would I I think if I could ever find a time to get in a two seater F one car, I would I would jump at that opportunity just just to feel it and then be done. Mm-hmm. What what did you not expect once you got into this world? What surprised you?
1: Yeah, um pro probably I was surprised you, you I had I had so much um, respect, or all the Formula One drivers that I would watch on TV, for me they were unattainable, you know, they, you, you, I had really idealized them a lot, and, and I remember first Grand Prix was in Australia, um, and I went, because you know, you are, we are all nervous, I was nervous as well, even more the first Grand Prix, so when you are nervous you go to the toilet. You know because any you have a little bit of pee and you you go to the toilet, so I remember I go to the toilet just before the race, fifteen minutes so i did we did the formation lab and then you have like ten fifteen minutes before you go for the start and I remember um i I think it was hacking and or or Vilnev, someone was there as well, you know so i I look at him as like he's a human being, you know, so I think the first thing that surprises you is that you you you, Formula One is seen as something unattainable, so far out of reach. And then when you go into the world, you realize they are all human beings. Yes, best drivers, best engineers, but human beings at the end of the day, like you, you know, that have similar problems, similar doubts. And um, But still now, yet, because of TV, because of social media, I think we see it far. And it's regular people, very good at it. But just regular people, and I was a bit impressed by this because I really thought they were, you know, I wouldn't say from a different planet, you know, but I really thought they were a bit yeah, out of reach.
0: In in this career, this is this is probably a dumb way to ask this question, but have you ever had a moment of adversity or like a massive learning experience that kind of translated into the rest of your life? I think we all have those moments in life, but what? what is what is an experience that you've had in motorsports that you know was a huge education moment for you or just a a moment of overcoming impossible adversity
1: yeah I've had some two very big accidents in Lemo big big ones well, one in Lemo and one was testing for lemo um, that then then you realize okay. I managed to get, get back, but it took me like a couple of years, in one of them in, in the Porsche curves, which are the fastest section of Le Mans. And and it, it took me two years to overcome that. So for two years, when I was going through that turn, in my mind, something was telling me lift a little bit, because it's a very fast turn and you do it almost flat, not quite. So it took me so long to to overcome that. Then eventually I did. And, and funny enough, you know, after the action, I won the race. So that's how much it can take out and then give back, you know. Um, but basically this thing that happened to me, I went from one of the most difficult moments of my life, I would say, because I really thought that was the end, to the year after winning that race, shows that. And, it's, and that's, it's, it's like this in life in general, you know, that you learn more from the difficult moments. You never learn, you don't learn so much from winning. Mm-hmm. Winning is great, but you don't learn from that, you know. So every time now that I go through a very difficult moment, I know that if I persevere at the end, on the, on the other side of that door, there is a bigger, a reward as big as the difficulty you are facing. And that has always been like that in my life. You know, and and that's something that sports shows, but it, it applies it applies to normal life. And for me the example was Lemo. I thought I was gonna die. It's the only time I felt that in my life in that accident. And the year after I was crying from joy, which I've never cried from joy, you know, on the same track in yeah. just one year uh, lifespan, you know, it's incredible. I
0: I I've never been much of a like a sports guy in my life like I, I enjoy competition, I enjoy watching, you know, American sports here. I've kind of gravitated to, you know, a lot of F1 and 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 football as as an adult. And starting this show, there's so many synergies that that you all experience that translate to the rest of I guess the rest of us in the real world of you know, hard work um, you know, a little bit of luck, you know, a lot of focus, you know, overcoming adversity and like really chasing impossible stuff, you know, to, to be one of 20 or 30 drivers in the world, you know, at any given time that is capable of driving these types of cars is a, is a massive rarity. I don't know what the actual number is relative to the global population, but it's probably a really small number. and. And you just you guys have stories that are so relatable to me and my world in the business world, and you know and and I know people that have been on the show, and you know I get messages all the time of like, you know, "Hey, I heard this guest," and you know they just said something that was so impactful in my life, and you know and they share it I forward it to all the guests when that happens, but it's just really, really cool. How you can take something like Formula One or whatever that's so far away from your world and relate to it like you're experiencing that too. Like I can take your stories and then bring that out to my company this afternoon. And mm-hmm. and I think that's that's what I've really come to appreciate in motorsport is cause you guys all like perform at the highest levels. It's so competitive, there's so much pressure and like you're also navigating a very politically charged world of motorsport like so you have all these things that people are like athletes or athletes like if you're just physically fit or whatever or you give a little bit of luck you can thrive in this and i always object to that because you know not only are you one of a very very small number of people globally that are capable of doing this and competing and surviving you also have all of the moving parts within the sport that you have to navigate through and survive through because there are alliances and there is diplomacy that's required and you know relationships and opportunities and a lot of luck and it just it's it's really really cool to to watch that and hear those stories and and honestly like just the blend of Ferrari and Shell. I I work in oil and gas as my day job, and so like when I get an opportunity to be around people that are in both of my worlds, my motorsports world and my oil and gas world, like for like Ferrari and Shell, I get really excited to have that. We had Valeria on the show a couple of months ago, and you know talking about the seventy year historical partnership of Shell and Ferrari. I know that's kind of where you come from. What what is that like? Like you were a tire tester for a Ferrari. Are you now kind of advising the fuel side of it
1: as well? I did I did in my time I did some uh, even fuel develop not fuel development, but sometimes I I tested some a new fuel formulation or new oil that was uh, supposed to give some performance and to fill that on the car was great you know it was and you could feel it especially uh i mean in the in the video you have on your background is monza and Monza, of course is the most demanding track of the whole calendar for the engine Mm -hmm. and i remember once that i did uh, test a new formulation in monza and and i did feel it you know on the top end rpm there was a little bit more extra power whether it was five horsepower you know that's how much horsepower you could gain five, ten horsepower on one formulation which is a huge amount so um, I mean now 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 not anymore because now the, all the new fuels and lubricants they are tested first in the dynos that Shell have and then they give it to our dynos. we test them in the dinos and and that's probably one of the areas that if the dino says there's more power there'll be more lap time on the on the racetrack the difficulty I was telling you before it's more down to downforce that sometimes the wind tunnels can be can give a, r- a wrong reading but the dinos on power is is a you can translate it from the diner to the truck, so whenever shell gives us some new formulation we think like, okay, great, because if they did find it, we're gonna find it, and the truck is gonna find it eventually but mm. in my in my time of testing, yeah, sometimes I did do the test myself, and it was very good it was a great feeling to feel more power just because of different fuel or different or a newer fuel or newer, newer oil.
0: I love the innovation in this sport, too. I just, I, I I love it. We're so bound by time. I always wrap up a good interview with, what advice do you have for young people? I believe that young people view this world as Hollywood. You know, you have, you you jump in a car, you move to an area, and you hope you're discovered. You know, and it's this big, intimidating machine that, you know, it's very, very difficult to get in, in any aspect. I think, you know, even an engineer feels it impossible to be an engineer for Ferrari, you know, or for Shell. What advice do you have for young people entering this
1: world? Yeah, two, two things. First, that it's studying is very important. So, um, and studying is important. So, If you go into sport, for example, don't don't give up on studying because studying is going to help you be a better sportsman because you'll have a better understanding on how the this world works. You're going to be more prepared. You have more tools. You know you better. You you have a better structure in your head how to prepare. And most of the sports, Formula One in particular, is a very complex sport. So uh, the, the the more clever, the more intelligent you are, the more prepared you are from your studies they really going to help you perform better as a driver. So try to always, um, in parallel, even if that means that sometimes it may take two years to, to, to do one year of school or, or even university, but don't give up. There's no excuse. They will all, you will always be able to find the time to, to study whilst you compete in whichever sport you do. And then the second one is that even Ferrari, which you would think, a bit similar to what happened to me when I, went to Australia and I was on a similar level to, I saw my name at the same page as and uh, Schumacher, Couther, you know. Um, if you want to be one day an engineer, mechanic, wherever you know, believe me that the guys who are engineers and mechanics are just normal people with normal background, most of. Like the engineer of Charles Leclerc, for example, I'm very good friends with, and he is because he lives nearby, and he's a he. He went to normal school from a normal family, but he liked. Uh, he studied engineering in a normal university, not the top university in England, you know, Spanish university. But he just was very passionate. He worked very hard, and he's now the Ferrari engineer of Charles Leclerc. You know, when you hear the voice, it's his voice. You know, and and he went to NASCAR, and then eventually Ferrari. Signed him, you know. So there's not really many boundaries. There's not many limitations to what you want to do in life. Even uh, I know working for yeah Formula One and Ferrari, which would be more two of the most iconic sports and brands, you know. And believe me, this guy I know his background, and he comes from a completely normal background. He just perseveres his dream, and he managed to make it happen, you know. So basically, we have more control of our. Not all of it, you know. Of course, there's a part of it that it doesn't depend on us, but we have a much more control than we think. As long as we apply proper values and 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 yeah, and we do the right thing, which, which you just said before, we, we, we all know what we have to do right to to be successful in life. It's, it's a lot. A big big part of it is down to us. Yes.
0: I <clears throat> I couldn't agree more. I frankly I think that's wise advice for anything and and i i do second that formula one IndyCar, it is full of very normal people that are down to earth and it's very accessible when you know first off when you respect it and appreciate it and you know this whole podcast started off from a couple of emails you know and it just really it took off and you know it is it has started a lot of things and i'm not You know motorsports educated i am not a race car driver i'm not a race engineer i'm a tech startup guy and it's just sent a couple of emails out cultivated some relationships they translated and you know i i have a whatsapp channel with all the guests i've had on the show and we just talk they're very normal people you know they'll see something on social media hey ryan what's going on with that or you know hey you know Tell your daughter congratulations on something, you know, it just, it's really, really cool how how open the sport is when you kind of have this like-minded passion for motorsports. So Mark, thank you for coming on the show, man. I know we went just a smidge over here and, you know, you you have great stories. You are always welcome on the show. Anytime that you want to come on, you're just, I'm an email away, um, a WhatsApp message away. Um, if I can catch you at any event, man, I'd love to shake your hand and, and say hi. And um, you're you're always welcome. And I'm really, really grateful for your time. You have you have a an amazing story. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. Congratulations on the program, Ryan.